good time? This is the My New Norm podcast. And I'm your host, Barry Scott Young. In this episode, we'll travel over 8,000 miles away. We will talk to Rochelle McNair, who lives on a working farm in New Zealand. Rochelle is a wife, a mother, a speaker, a restaurateur, and owns two after-school program franchises, making a difference in the lives of kids and their families. Let's listen in. Well, hello. This has got to be uh, Rochelle McNair. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you sound far away. I looked it up today. It's 8,229 miles from me today. Yeah, just a, just a hop, skip, and a jump over the pond, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. When I met you... It was in San Antonio, Texas, and you had an act, a little bit of an accent. Today, you traded that in. <laughs> Do you know, uh, everyone here always asks me where I'm from, but then when I go back to San Antonio, they ask me where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> you are lost, girl. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for being here today. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Let's get going. I want to know, I know I don't know this stuff. I met you when you were probably in your 20s. Yep. But what kind of gal were you growing up? Uh, you weren't always in San Antonio, were no, you? No, no. Um, I was raised in um, southeast Texas, sort of the Golden Triangle, it's called, sort of Beaumont, Port Arthur, Nederland, around there, yeah. The, 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 okay. yeah, Louisiana Laplands, lots of Cajuns. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Tell me a little bit of your childhood. What what do you think about when you go back in your thoughts uh, growing up, some stories or things that were a challenge to you or that you loved? What about your childhood? Yes, I'm the youngest of four, and yeah. my, my mom had – eight siblings my dad had six siblings so all of our best friends were like wow. our cousins so <laughs> you know uh, we saw them regularly and we hung out with family regularly um and that was just part of part of life for us we did shift a lot we moved house quite a bit my family a lot of people thought we were military because we moved so much but mm -hmm. um my mm -hmm. dad was just a nomad we moved quite a bit, not always in the same school districts. So I remember one year in particular, when I was in third grade, I went to three different schools um, in, in wow. third grade, yeah, because we had shifted so many times to different locations. Um, wow. And we probably all up, actually, I think I counted, I went to about 20 different schools from the time from kindergarten to graduation. Wow. But what I believe is that that set me up to be adaptable, you know, mm -hmm. and to be say, right, okay, and to make friends and to sort of observe things and be able to go, okay, this is what it's like here. How do I adapt or how do I fit in right. or do I fit in, you know, that, that type of thing right. and, and find my tribe with each location. So I, 
I think it's just the way that it that it's happened, but I liked it. It was exciting for me. I don't think my siblings enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> but I think that's a personality thing. <laughs> yeah. When you think about your childhood in Texas, what are some of the things you loved to do every day when you got up? Well, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, so we we just played outside. Like we were outside all day long every day and we only came inside to eat and, and go to the toilet, you know. <laughs> we, we were climbing trees, um, you know, make-believe clubs, you know, imaginations run wild. We just explored nature. And, you know, I think I remember one time um, – I was playing outside with a neighborhood friend and we decided it was a good idea to try and eat sand. Oh my. (laughs) Because because why not? Yeah. We we played outside all the time. I never had shoes on. I ran around barefoot in Texas. We got a lot of the stickers. So I've now got Mm -hmm. permanent calluses on my feet. (laughs) <laughs> from having so many stickers in my feet. It's a, oh, my. Yeah, so it's, yeah, uh, I remember playing outside quite a lot. Okay. Did you have friends or did you play with your brothers and sisters? What was that like? It dep- depended on where we lived, you know, uh-huh. yeah. So we did play as siblings. My, I've got, as I'm the youngest of four, and my brother, who's just above me, his name is Parrish, he and I played a lot. But we'd also make friends with neighborhood children. And it didn't matter if that were boy, girl, you know, didn't matter if it was black, white, didn't matter if it was, you know, hardcore Christian or never went to church. You know, it didn't matter who it was. Mm-hmm. All the kids just played together. And that's just how it was. Wow. Up and down the streets. We were wow. either at friends' house or playing in the street even back then. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best compliment you've received as a kid? Someone told me I was a good actor. How old? Were Eleven. You? Man, that showed up later on, didn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> when we met, we were transitioning into a new job, a new church, and you took over the drama department. Yeah. Remember Exodus That's right. players? That's right. Which you did a fantastic job. It was uh, amazing. It was a huge learning and, curve. That's for sure. Uh I never saw it as a learning curve with you. You're just super at it and such a natural. Um, as far as moving up now into your uh, young adult uh, age, how did you meet your husband? How did you get to be where you are now? Yeah, so my family moved to San Antonio when I was uh, 11. And so that sort of changed everything. We were the, all of our family was back in the Golden Triangle in Southeast Texas. So we moved away and we were the only ones there. So we had to sort of set, set roots with friends and things like that. And I think that probably set my life up quite a bit. We would go to church every now and then, but not a lot. Um, and then when I was 15, I wanted to try out for the school dance team. And so I did the old make, make a deal with God trick. You know, if you let me, you know, because you know, my life depended on making the dance team. And so, uh, you know, if you let me make the dance team, I'll go to church every Sunday, no matter what. And um, oh my. Yeah, so I made the team and I did no matter what, went to church and did that for a couple of years before I had a real encounter um, with God. And I could almost hear him saying to me, you know what, when you get serious about me, I'm going to get serious about you. And that was all it took. So when I was 17, I actually 
thought, right, let's do this, God. And that that set up my my young adult life as well, because from that point, my career trajectory changed. I decided to go to Bible college. I was working, not working, I was involved as a youth leader at the church, at Trinity Church in San Antonio, mm-hmm. where you and I met. And um, we would go to the summer camps with different churches from around the state. And um, it was a friend that I had made at one of those summer camps. She was from Corpus Christi. Um, her name was Heather. And Heather went to Fiji with YWAM one year. And she met this New Zealand girl there as well who was there with YWAM. And then they went back to their respective countries. And Heather came back to our church in the end. Um, one year she was on the, the drama team with me. And she said, oh, these guys from New Zealand are coming over. Um, I met the, one of them's sister. Should we all go out and hang out? I thought, oh, yeah, that, that'd be great. That's why that suited me just fine. You know, have a few laughs, never see the guy again. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I met my husband when he was holidaying and they had come back to gone to San Antonio to see Heather. And so uh, the, the short, the short of it is I had a friend who had a friend whose brother's (laughs) best friend is my husband. (laughs) Wow. I think we had to do a diagram for immigration when I (laughs) 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 Oh. So San Antonio to New Zealand, what was that like? An education. <laughs> I, I bet. The thing I remember the most is walking into the grocery store, and the only thing I recognized was the produce and, and, and Coca-Cola. Wow. <laughs> Everything wow. else is, was different. You know, uh, you just don't recognize it. It's like, oh, what's in, what is that? What is a chicken flavored chip? What's you know, and you, and you go to, to turn it over and you look at the back of it and you go and it doesn't doesn't have the ingredients because it wasn't mandatory in New Zealand at the time. And so it's like, oh God, it's sort of a bit of trial and error and <laughs> you know and, and, oh. and you know, I, for years I thought I couldn't make my proper Mexican dishes because I couldn't find cilantro. Then I realized, oh, it's called coriander, you know, and so just oh. finding those those little things that were different. And also back in the early 90s when I came, the grocery stores were only open 9 to 5.30 and and, and oh they were my. closed on Sundays. So if you worked full time, which I did, you had to go to the grocery store on Saturday because that's the only time you could. It was a very, very different oh. world back then. How big of a, a town or city are you in? So I live north of Auckland. And um, at the moment, I live in a little rural community called Waitoki. And Waitoki probably has mm, 10,000, maybe. Okay. But it's not, it's 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 part of, part of a wider community. There's um, other little towns that sort of all connect into each other. Okay. Yeah, Silverdale, Oriwa, Hibiscus Coast area. And in the Hibiscus Coast area, there's probably about 50,000. 50, okay. Well, I'll tell you, that's amazing. My daughter, Brittany, later on went to New Zealand with a DTS. She? Yeah. So she was there with about a year or so after high school. So she was there six months. Did she go to Matamata? Yes. I guess that's where the uh, hobbits yeah. are. The, um, here's how small of a world it is, Barry. My sister-in-law, so my husband's brother's wife, my sister-in-law's parents ran the YWAM in Matamata no. for years. And probably when Brittany was there. <laughs> You're kidding. Yeah. I'm trying to think when that was. But anyway, it's it's really a small world. What do you love about New Zealand now that you are 
adjusted all these years? I just think it's just such a great place to raise kids. You know, you take all the politics mm. and everything out of it. It's just such a good place to, to raise kids. A lot of the um, pressure, I think, American parents or parents living in America um, feel obligated to put for their children to achieve or be something or, you know, to be successful. It's just it's just not here. It's, you know, it's a sh- she'll be right. She'll be right. You know, a very laid back sort of take on life and which I think has been really, really good for, for me and for mm. my kids as well to sort of say, you know, it's all right if you don't want to go to university, guess what? You can still be successful. Right. You know, and you sort of, there's not those, those same, what they call it, um, carrot and sticks, you know, that are hung out yeah. culturally very, very different. Yeah. A lot of out, you know, again, with the outdoors, as I said to you, you know, as a kid, I played outside a lot and New Zealand is made to be outside. Even if you live in the suburbs, you're never far from a beach. Um, you know, it's easy to go to the mountains or find waterfalls, bushwalks, beach walks, farms. It's just, it's the ideal place. Wow. Yeah. For, for us, it was. For us, it was. Yes. It really, really mm-hmm. looks beautiful. I'm so glad that uh, you're there. Now we have to move into what you're doing. This, I don't know. So right now, um, a few years back, I um, bought a franchise for childcare. And so it's, it's for out-of-school care for primary school age children. I have two sites now. And so we mm. have before school. So we have before school, after school, and school holidays. We run programs for, for parents who are working or for kids who want to do something quite active. And I run two of those. We also, my husband and I also own a restaurant in town. <laughs> and funnily enough, just at the end of last year, um, towards the end of last year, right before we went into lockdown in August, and just prior to that, I started work on a new venture for um, online activity packs and modules for parents, teachers, and other out-of-school care providers. So, yeah, I keep, I keep busy wow. <laughs> until now. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> and the reason why you're on a little bit of a break is because you were actually in an accident. Yeah. Why don't you uh, tell us about that? Yeah, so I, as I said, uh, we live on a farm. And um, regularly, I take the the bike out on different through different paddocks, and the dog would chase me, and that's how he gets his run. And so I'd gone to do that uh, one morning, take the dog out for a run. Ended up having an accident. Don't know what happened. I have sort of dreamlike, you know, sort of phases of the wheel of the bike, you know, going a bit zigzaggy. And then I just remember waking up on the ground wow. and sort of realizing I was in a significant amount of pain. Not gonna lie, there was a significant amount of screaming. <laughs> and um and crying and then it was almost like it was almost like I had a left brain right brain thing happening because one side of my brain was screaming with pain and the other side of my brain was like right where are you where are you okay I'm on the farm where are you at on the farm where's the house let you know figure out where you're at you got to get yourself to where you can get some help our house is sort of up on on a hill and I was sort of down in a paddock um, I have a brief memory of trying to climb the hill. And then I'll remember sitting on the couch and my husband calling um, 111. So what bones and muscles and yeah, so, all that was damaged? Yeah, so we can start from the top down. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a concussion. Um, and so we've got to work on that. I've got my clavicle broken in two places, my shoulder, my scapula broken in two places. Almost every rib on my right side is broken, um, multiple places. So it doesn't, you know, the ribs go from the sternum to the backbone. There's sort of multiple breaks 
in almost every single right rib. Uh, From that, my liver was lacerated, and then my hip bone was bruised, and my thigh had a contusion. And I've got a hairline fracture on my elbow. Wow. So I do it right. You had mentioned the other day that the healthcare there is phenomenal. Look, you know, nothing is perfect. And Mm -hmm. obviously there's, there's things that are problematic. But for my care and in my experience with this, um, I can't fault it. You just can't fault it. You know, as, as a New Zealand resident, I'm entitled to the social well, you know, welfare that's here. Part of that is the healthcare system. So two ambulance rides, x-rays, CT scans, care from multiple teams. I've got a trauma team, a nursing team, an OT team, a physio team. I had a pain team, like whose sole purpose was just to manage my pain. Like counselors, you know, all these teams of specialists, and it's just paid for by by our taxes. And and now I have a home home help team, so someone who comes and helps me with personal care and that kind of thing as well. And it's just sorted out by the government. Um, I have a case a caseworker who's assigned to me if I need anything. I just call her and she takes care of it. I'm glad you're getting good care. You had a lot of energy, so it's probably hard to keep you down, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, um, it's funny because one of my friends said, you know, this, you needed this, you needed to stop. <laughs> just a break. <laughs> like you, you needed to stop. But I had a, um, one of my friends uh, named Anne, and she's, I met Anne through the UR Charitable Trust, which we do um, conferences for teenage girls. And she mm-hmm. would um, just be sending me verses, you know, in my time in hospital as she was praying for me. I just, one of them just was like, man, you know, that scripture that says um, a word aptly spoken is just nothing beats it. And she sent this to me on the 22nd of December. And this is this has been my anchor. It says, and then after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace has called you to share in his eternal glory in Christ will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. And that's 1 Peter 5.10. And that's been my anchor. Wow. Great. Well, I know that you have leadership all over you. Uh, you've always been involved with helping people, investing in people. And so it is today that you're doing the same. Uh, Tell us about what you're doing with uh, girls. We actually just had our 10th year anniversary um, last year, our 10 years um, doing it. And it all started when my daughter was in high school and a friend of mine who I'd met through the PTA, funnily enough, um, Vanessa Gapman is her name. And um, her daughter is the same age as my son. And so we both had, you know, young, young daughters and we would talk regularly about, you know, the things that they're facing that we didn't face. And she yeah. said, you know, we've got to do something. And so we set up a plan and she and I and one other young lady named Taylor um, met in my living room. And she she's the arrow. Vanessa Gatman is the arrow. God has given her this vision. And I'm just privileged to be a part of the team that um, can support and bring that vision to fruition. We sat down in my living room and we thought, right, if we can, let's do, let's do this. Let's make up a conference. Let's figure out what we want it to look like. And we thought, oh, if we can get 60 girls, wow, that would be amazing. We thought that would be the best. And we Mm -hmm. thought, well, what are we going to call it? And um, I had just seen 
um, a picture, a poster that had a whole bunch of scriptures, references under it. And it was, you are loved, you are special, you are unique, you are cared for, you are family, you are, you are created for purpose. And, and it had a scripture reference for each of those things where it talks about God saying who we are. And I showed them that I said, oh, maybe we can get something out of this. And that's where you are came from. And our first conference, we had 96 young ladies. Yeah. Really? And we had to cut it off because we're like, heck, we're not. We're not. <laughs> we go. Um, but yeah, so it's just grown from strength to strength there. Each girl comes and has a mentor. Uh, so she's put into a mentor group. Um, and her mentor is sort of three to five years older. And so as the, the grown ups, we're now, we're just the organizers, you know, and um, we initially, um, when we were starting out, we would also do some of the workshops. We'd also get other people, specialists in to do workshops or um, share their, share their story and to encourage the young ladies. We've actually, as I said to you, you know, we're in our 10th year. And so we've got a new, um, new level of leadership coming in. These are all young girls who went through from 12 years old to, to now. They've come through the UR process as attendees, then mentors, and now they're a part of our organization team as well. And each year now we, um, we have to cut it off at about 100, 120 girls uh, up in the Hibiscus Coast where I am. But we've also done conferences around New Zealand. We've done South Auckland. We've done Hamilton. And we've done a, a beach town called Fakatane for a few years as well. We just go where the doors open and say, right, Lord, where do you want us? And, and that's what we do. Oh, amazing. Now working with girls this long, what have you noticed their biggest challenges or lies that they believe about themselves? What are some of those things? So the most telling thing uh, we do is we get the girls to write down their insecurity on day one. Write it down on a square piece of paper, wad it up, throw it in the basket. And then we mix them all up and we have the girls take one out. So they don't know what they're, they're taking out anybody's. And then we read, we go and we read every single one of them out loud. It is so, so sad. I, I almost cry a couple of times because of the struggles that these girls are going through. And funnily enough, the number one issue in these girls is their weight. And these girls are not overweight. These girls are healthy, active athletes, but they're just fat is the word that comes out a lot or, or mm. not enough. And it's just heartbreaking. So we, we, we start off the conferences by conquering those insecurities and the thinking around it saying, right, that's a word you, you've chosen, but what do you want to be? You know, what, and then we change the script and we, and we have them choose another word that you either are growing into be or that you want to be. And, you know, that can be, and we sort of, it's a process that we work through over the time that we're there. Then the girls write that word down and a professional photographer comes in and takes a picture of them holding that word up on a, mm. a little mini whiteboard. And they get that picture to take home with them, to remind them, you know, this is, this is who you, who you can be. This is who you are. Aim for this. And the words, have, their wow. words are amazing what they come up with to be able to take them from not enough to you know, um, I'm outgoing or I'm a leader or I'm, you know, enthusiastic or I'm a dreamer or, you know, whatever that may be, the words are as different as the girls. And it's just fantastic wow. to sort of see that um, one of the other organizers, her name is Krista. She's amazing. 
talks to the girls about finding the gold, you know, and finding that gold inside of themselves. And she also spends hours and hours in prayer for each of the girls and gives them each a written word of encouragement from the Lord that they leave with as well. It is, it is wow. life changing for these young ladies. Where is this coming from through, as far as the negative, is it coming through peers or social media? I think we've always known that magazines and TV were, you know, um, the biggest sort of deterrent to self-confidence in young women um, and, and older women for that fact. But yeah, with the rise of social media and the private messages and the unrealistic expectations that have been put on women and then how that's filtered down to young ladies. It's mainly, yeah, mainly Mm. through social media and just uncovering uh, our role we see is uncovering the lies that, that they believe and and empowering them with the truth and purpose. So we've got empowering them with hope, purpose, and identity. That's our role. So the ages that you deal with is what? Um, Usually it's ages 12 to 15, but we have, we have gone up to 17 and we've actually just started one for 11-year-olds uh, three years ago, just a one-day conference for 11-year-olds. And we deal with not just, we don't just deal with body image. Um, that's always a part of it. But we also talk about social media and keeping yourself safe and what a digital footprint is. We talk about friendships um, and navigating those. We talk about relationships with boys and that type of thing. For the older girls, we talk about, you know, um, getting yourself ready to be employed, teach them, you know, confidence and how to um, communicate themselves and for interviews and things like that. So there are some uh, parts of the conference where everyone's in together and then other parts of the conferences where the girls are getting us a workshop that's geared specifically for their age group and what we know. Um, is their biggest challenge. I'm thinking about a quote by Henry Ford. He said, if you think you can or can't, you're right. And I think you are pinpointing their mindset and readjusting it for a better one. That's going to take them far. You know, and that's the thing, you know, we, um, as part of the registration process, the parents have to um, complete if there's any issues that we should be aware of. We always, at the end of it, um, at the end of every conference, we have we call it a, a walk of confidence. So the girls bring mm. their power outfit, whatever that is. And we literally, bury, we literally have everything from mini skirts and high heels to sweatpants and t-shirts. And it's like, and it's like, you know what, what's your, you do you, baby, because you are, who you are is fine. And they come out while they're getting ready for the walk of confidence. Vanessa Gatman is giving a breakdown of the past, the, the time that we've had with their girls to the parents. So the, we invite the parents to come and be a part of this final day, part of this walk of confidence to encourage their daughter. And we say, look, we're not fixing, you know, don't, don't think that we're going to fix anything because that's not our role. We're just here to sort of add a perspective and, 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 and instill some confidence and start a conversation, which you can continue to have with your, with yeah, your daughter yeah. so that she can continue on on her journey. And it's so powerful to see these young girls going out there and their parents are crying and, you know, because they said, you know, she would never have done that. And just being able to give them some of the tools, you know, um, that we've used and some of the strategies that we've used so that they can walk away and just keep that going so that their daughters do continue on their journey. Uh, I'd like to know if you wouldn't mind, what advice would you give parents 
that are frustrated with their teenager at home or how their teenager is uh, acting out, what, what could you say to them? Well, that's really tricky because acting out can, is a very broad term. You know, there could be acting out could be just a bit of lip and a back chat or, you know, um, professional eye roller, or it could be, <laughs> or it could be something a little bit more um, physical or even drugs or alcohol. The most important thing is something that someone said to me when I was struggling with, with my daughter is there's, there's two parts. You can either control the trajectory of her life or you can be in her life. Which do you want? Because you won't be able to have both. And it's like, you know, so when my daughter was making some choices, which I wish she hadn't been making, I could choose to fight her over that and try and control her over that and have no relationship. Or I could take a step back and come to the true understanding that God loves her just as much, if not more than I do. And he's got her. So I need to trust him with that and just love her and be in her life and be able to have some impartation into her life um, without trying to control the trajectory of it. And so that was that wow. that was the best advice that was ever given to me. And so that's the best advice I can pass on. You can you can either hold her hand or you can hold her heart. Which do you want? So, yeah, I, I chose the heart. <laughs> That's a lot like rules without relationship equals rebellion. You have to have a relationship with someone. And uh, that's so true. Um, they're at such a anything can happen state. And uh, as parents, you know, you, you want the best for your kid, but you don't always know what to do. But if you keep the relationship, You'll always have yeah, that look, for whatever. And it didn't mean through. I didn't make her hold her accountable because I did. And it didn't mm -hmm. mean that she, you know, could do whatever she wanted with no repercussions because that's not real life either. But it was just the way I think as soon as my mindset changed towards the way I needed to parent her through that, obviously my language changed. You know, we used to tease, you know, that my daughter should go into masonry because she's very good at building walls. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when she was going through that phase. <laughs> so, you know, we, something would happen. I'd go and have a conversation with her. And I, my husband would look at me, how'd it go? And I'd just say, there goes another level in the wall. But funnily enough, um, you know, we started seeing little, little glimpses of the person we knew she was, she, we knew the person who was in there, but she just had to find herself. And over the, mm -hmm. over the years and a couple of years after that, she wrote, um, she gave my husband and I framed prints of, um, superheroes. So she gave me a framed print of Wonder Woman and she gave my husband a framed print of oh. Superman. And on the back of it, she wrote these very long letters to each of us and wow. sort of saying, you know, that how she was going through those things and how she did appreciate it, even though she didn't show it at the time and, and she apologizing mm -hmm. for her, you know, and she's just the most amazing young lady. Um, I couldn't be more proud of, of who she's, who she is and who she's chosen to be and who she's growing into. I don't know if I had tried to overpower her, control her destiny, you know, to keep her safe, if she could have reached that. I think part of parenting is knowing when you have to step back, 
You know, and one of the things I used to say to my husband regularly when my children were going through those phases is let them learn the lesson now when the consequences are relatively small, because they will learn this lesson. But the older they get, the bigger the consequences get. Let's let them let well them said. learn this now where we where the consequences are manageable and we can and we can get through it with them. Well, I'm hearing today about your influence and I was wondering, who would you say are your three most influential people in your life? And how how do you think they affected you? In my whole life or right now? Let's do all. The whole life. The whole life. That's a really good question. I thought I'd it have was. to say with, uh, I'd have to say Michael and Lisa Edwards. They were the youth pastors at Trinity before you. They uh-huh. mentored me as well. That was, yeah, they, they changed my life. You and Barb, you guys had a high influence on my life. Significant, significant influence on my life. My husband, funnily enough, has mm. been a huge influence on my life. He allows me to see things about myself that I aren't so easy to see. And yeah, mm. he's always done that. And that's probably why I fell in love with him. <laughs> what kind of guy is he? He is the funniest guy you'd ever meet. (laughs) 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 I I said to you earlier, you know, when we met, I thought, I thought, oh, yeah, I could see this guy. You know, he was only supposed to be in San Antonio for four days. I thought, excellent. That's just what I need. Have a few (laughs) laughs, never see him again, you know. (laughs) Um, But the reality is I'm still laughing. (laughs) He's incredibly caring. You wouldn't know it, though, from looking at him, but he's so tenderhearted. Um very driven and very goal oriented. And he's just, he's just amazing. You know, I know he's found um, my accident hard because, you know, we, we are, we're a team and we've always been a team. It's all, you know, we've sort of always never thought that one was better than the other. And we always worked together towards our mutual goals. There are people who talk about having goals and having strength and having character and having integrity and then there are people who actually just do it. He's the ones who just who just does it. Doesn't doesn't need an audience, doesn't want an audience. And just a very caring family man. Yeah. Family is everything to him. You two as a team, um, where would you like to go in the next ten or fifteen years? What do you think is gonna happen? Good question. Yeah, I think well he's he's a pilot. I think he'd like to retire in the next ten to fifteen years. He, he's a, he's an active relaxer. Yeah. We've got, um, our farm is 29 acres. It's just a little small farm and um, we've got sheep on a lot of the paddocks, but there's a paddock just behind the house, which is quite large. We call it the park. He mows that, you know, he just gets out there and (laughs) and he just, you know, he keeps the grounds. You would think that um, parts of the farm would be mistaken for a golf course because he just keeps it immaculate. Yeah. And he's very good with his hands. Um, building things, making things. We've been watching um, April Wilkerson on YouTube. I don't know if you know about her, but he found her and he said, oh, look at this girl. Look at this stuff she's doing. And she's just uh, woodworking and building things. We were watching it and I said, gosh, that looks a lot like Canyon Lake, you know, just north of San Antonio. And we looked it up and sure enough, that's where she is. (laughs) (laughs) So I think think he'd like to get a wood shop and... um, just potter around yeah. in it. And yeah, I'd like to just potter around the farm, um, get some chickens, build up a garden and hang out with my grandkids one mm. day. 
Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's heaven to me. <laughs> so the, the businesses that you have started from eating to investing in girls to all that stuff, where is that going to go? So I think um, eventually I'll sell my child care services. Um, I don't have any plans mm-hmm. to do that in the immediate future. Um, so that'll be there for a significant amount of time. The restaurant, we actually already run it at a, at a license. So um, there's a team who run it and they just, um, we have the license for all the IP and recipes and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, the lockdowns have a significant effect on both of those businesses. Um, my online business, the activity packs and modules, which I'm gearing up, can just sit in the background, continue to work along. And uh, my goal is that that would eventually be a passive income. I'd actually like to expand it as well and get my children involved. My daughter is amazing with um, preschool children. The stuff she knows and the way she works and the way she thinks is amazing. So I'd like to perhaps bring her Mm. on and into that um, part of the business as well. And she can maintain that. And um, the charity um, with UR, it's all we've already started a succession with the girls that have come through the program coming up and you know being the organizers and they actually run it now we sort of just sit back in the background and do a bit of planning we're there for backstops and might, we might we might now over a three-day conference the adult organizers or you know the sort of senior organizers we may may have a speaking segment of maybe 10 minutes or something like that over the three days our role is just to to continue to grow it and get it so that it does live beyond us. Well, you're doing it right, girl. I'm so impressed with uh, the years that I've lost touch with you and what you've done with them. Absolutely amazing. Well done. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to get the updates. When you get your strength back and you get to move all your parts, <laughs> I know you're, you're going to go right back into what you love to do and that's changing lives. I, yeah, you know, I think, I guess I I find it interesting that, that you say that because for me, I don't actually approach it that way. I just think if, if you have something to give, whatever that may be, then there's a moral obligation to share it. And I think, you know, that's, that's just how I live my life. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I just think that's the way I don't, I don't make a, it's not a conscious thing where I'm thinking, oh, I must go and do this. I think you just a mindset of, you know, you, you have, if you have something, then, then share it because not everyone has what you have. And because I was raised the way I was raised, I know that. So, you know, I sort of been able to see both sides of the railroad tracks. Um, but sometimes those things are financial. Sometimes those things are um, spiritual. Sometimes those things are, you know, just in life experience. Well, you can add being humble uh, as well to your character. (laughs) Uh, Listen, Rochelle, I have enjoyed so much getting, like I said, the updates of what's going on in your life. I want to stay in touch better than what we've done. Because of technology, we're so much closer. Mm -hmm. And I just love what you and your husband, your family have become and what you're doing. Thank you. It's incredible. It's good to see you guys too. Incredible. And good to see you back up and operational as well. Yeah, I'm getting there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting there. Is there anything else you'd share with uh, the listeners? Anything come to mind that we didn't talk about or you want to share? Um, I can, I suppose, a little bit about where I'm at now. I sort of Mm -hmm. 
had an aha moment. And it's, it's funny that it's an aha moment because it's some of the most basic stuff. But sometimes we say things and we go, oh, yes, yes, I know that. But there's a difference between knowing something and understanding something. And I've come to an understanding the other day. I was thinking, right, I can make a choice here. I can choose to focus on all the things that I can't do because of my injuries. Or I can change perspective and move my focus on everything that I can do. And I thought, right, I'm going to make a conscious decision that I am only going to focus on the things I can do. Anytime those other thoughts of you know, being limited or uh, pain or whatever, yes, it's there. I'm not going to ignore it. I know it's there. I'm just not going to let it be what guides me. So rather than living a life based on my restrictions, I'm going to live a life based on what I can do, on my abilities. And as my abilities grow, then that's great. So I think that's probably the, the, wow. the thing I'd want to share now is don't focus on what you can't do or what you can't change. Focus on what you can because the mindset that comes with it gives you a real lift and builds your drive. Well said. You just explain the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> awesome. I don't know if you know, when I was in the hospital, must have been the first week or so after the stroke, I was frustrated trying to find out where my whole body went. And uh, my brain was busy trying to reconnect. I realized that I can't go back pre-stroke. It doesn't exist. But what I can do and need to do is focus on where I'm at and where I need to go. And as soon as that happened, it changed everything for me. I'm never going to get back to where I was because it doesn't exist. But I'm going where I want to go and I'm going to yeah. get there. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You know, so much was shared here. I know you'll want to rehear it and then share it with those that you know. Remember, it's about the small steps. What step or steps can you take in the next 30 days? This is the My New Norm podcast a podcast about helping you foster change. Until the next episode, I am still your host, Barry Scott Young.